Today, we have uh, Pastor Jeff. So before I call him up, um, I want to give you guys a little bit of background about Pastor Jeff. He has been with the local church for 17 years, um, and he has left the ministry so that he can step into a new role in Barnabas and Co. He's been there for, I don't know how, how many years, is it two years? One year, yeah. And he has been ministering to pastors, and that's where his calling is in this season. And so he's been walking with like 38 different pastors. And so um, we're just really glad to have him here. Uh, he'll be joining us like every month. Um, as you guys know, we have been going through different rotations of pastors in the past couple weeks. And you'll see Pastor Jeff uh, like once a month, so once or twice a month. So just want to do that. Um, and before we go into the scripture reading, I just wanted to ask at the end, um, th there's going to be a slide if you guys can read the part that says all and if you guys can recite it together. But I'll do the scripture reading part. Acts 3, 19 to 20. Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Good afternoon, THMC. Well, let's try that again. Good afternoon, THMC. Uh, it's much more like it. Um, I know that uh, Pastor Sam Cole was here last week. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine, and uh, he, I know he pastors up at Hillside LA, and I had a chance to speak there. And, you know, it's, uh, he's a tough act to follow because he is one passionate, fiery man. And, um, you know, I also know that Chris was here for two weeks, and she actually partners with me in the ministry that I'm currently doing now. And so it's my privilege to be able to come back and share God's word with you. Uh, just, a, just a little heads up in advance. I want to apologize. I have this lingering dry cough right now. I, after dodging the virus, uh, COVID, for like two and a half years, it finally, it finally got me like a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm, I'm negative. So for those of you I, I shook hands with, so don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be worried. But I still have this little uh, dry, lingering cough. And I hope that it won't be too much of a disruption as I share God's word with you today. But before we begin, can I just ask if we can pray one more time? And we'll get into today's teaching from Acts 3. Lord, I just want to pray, and we just want to say, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. We know you are here. We know that you are present with us. But Lord, we know that there is a difference between acknowledging your presence and welcoming it. And we just pray right now that as we welcome you in our midst, Lord, would you have your way with us today? Because the subject that I am teaching on, the topic that we're going to sort of unpack, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it is just a teaching. And so, Lord, we just welcome you, and we lay our hearts bare before your word, and we invite you to come and have your way with us today. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, THMC, can I ask you guys, uh, as you were growing up, uh, was there a particular word that you are not allowed to use in your household? Think about this for a minute, right? A particular word that was forbidden that was banned from your household, that you were not allowed to speak, mention, or recite. Was there a particular word like that? 
If you watch the movie Encanto, right, to the Madrigal family, it was the word what? Bruno, right? And that's why the song says we don't talk about Bruno. Well, in the Hyun family home, currently, there was a particular, there is a particular word that we're not allowed to say, a particular word that has been forbidden or from banned from being used in our house, and it's actually the word divorce. And let me tell you the reason why. Both my wife and I, we both grew up in broken homes. Both of us experienced as children what it's like to see our parents' marriage being separated and torn asunder by divorce. And so my wife and I, when we were in the preparation stages of getting married, we had made this vow to one another, like, hey, we're going to do everything in our power not to mention the D word ever in our household. No matter how angry we are with each other, no matter how offended we are, no matter how bad the fighting gets, we will not mention the D word in our household. And it's been 15 years, and so far we have kept that pledge. But the D word, divorce, is kind of like the, the dirty word in the Christian, I mean, in, 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 our, in our family context. I share this with you, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that did you know that there is a certain particular forbidden or maybe seemingly dirty word in Christendom, which is actually the topic and the title of our message today. Do you know what that word is? The dirty word of Christendom? It's actually the word repent. Or actually the word repentance. And let me tell you why I believe that it has become sort of the dirty word of repentance. Because when people hear the word repent, what's the first image that comes to mind? Sometimes the first image that appears are, is, is like this. These are members of the Westboro Baptist Church. Have you guys ever heard of them? It's an infamous group of people that show up to soldiers' funerals, pride parades, even Christian conventions and conferences. And they're having these picket signs, often hate-filled picket signs, that says, repent or perish. And so sometimes the word repentance is often linked with people and signs such as this. Others of you, when you think about the word repent or the word repentance, you might be led to think of people like this man right here, the angry fire and brimstone preacher. Some of you guys are probably very uncomfortable in your seats, maybe wondering, Pastor Jeff, are you going to become like that preacher that you see in the image right there? You know, preachers like this, uh, they often try to scare people out of hell and scare people into heaven. It's a tactic that I don't really think is very biblical. I don't think it's actually a, t- uh, it's a, it's a, it's a strategy that, that we see being used by the early church, as we're going to see through our text today. But maybe that's the image of repentance. It's the angry, fiery, brimstone preacher who is condemning people. Maybe for others of you guys, when you think about the word repent, you are led to a certain image of a vehicle. Maybe you've come across a vehicle like this as you're driving to work, as you're driving in Los Angeles. There's some vehicle that has all of these signs about repentance plastered on the side. And look at, look at the very right side of the screen where it says, God hates you sinners. How's that for an evangel- you know, evangelism strategy, right? And then underneath that, it says Santa Claus, gays, and KKK. Such a strange uh, grouping of uh, things right there. But again, this is why I really think the word repentance gets such a bad rap in the church. 
because it's often linked to images like that or people like this or people like this. But what I want to tell you this morning is that, or this afternoon, is that the word repentance actually is quite a significant word in the scripture. It's actually very central to our faith. You know how I know this? Because when John the Baptist began his ministry preparing for the way of Jesus, do you know what was central to his message? It was the call to repent. And when Jesus finally showed up and he began to do his earthly ministry, Jesus' first message, his most often repeated message was to what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And eventually, even when we get to the early church, even though the early church is birthed out of the Pentecost, as Pastor Chris uh, probably unpacked for you guys, where the Holy Spirit shows up and fills the church, the early church actually grew because leaders like Peter were not afraid to talk about repentance and call people towards it. Repentance was central to the message of Jesus. It was central to the understanding of the gospel, and it is central to life in the kingdom. Can I get an amen? And so today, I want to sort of unpack what does repentance really mean? What does repentance really mean? And I really want to help, and I'm praying that by the end of today's teaching that you guys will have a different understanding or concept of repentance, one that does not look like that, but looks completely different. A repentance that is not condemning people into their sin, but is actually inviting people out of it. Where repentance is not seen as a dirty word, a word that it should be avoided in the church, but actually, it's actually a, quite a beautiful word. And the fruit of that word and the act of that word is actually leads to something that's also beautiful as well. So I've structured our message into four parts today. One, what is the starting point of repentance? What is the heart of repentance? Then what is the act of repentance? And then what is ultimately the fruit of repentance? Okay. So let's begin our teaching and let's help unpack what is repentance. What is the starting point of repentance. So here's the point that I want to share with you. Repentance begins when we are convicted, everyone say convicted, and pierced by the truth. This is the starting point of repentance. Repentance begins where something in your heart, you become pierced with conviction. You become pierced by the truth. Generally speaking, it's usually about the condition of your heart before God. And, 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 and it creates this sense of like, oh, this is our brokenness and this is our level of sin before God. This is kind of where it begins. Where do I get this? If you go to Acts chapter 3, our passage today, you will see that Peter, he gets up again and he begins to preach this message about not only who Jesus is as the Messiah, but in light of who Jesus is, he calls the people to repent. Now, this is not the first time Peter has actually given such a message or given such an invitation to people. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, he does this for the very first time. And literally, people began to respond to the message of who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, and they began to repent. But then as he's preaching this message, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, this is what the scripture writer observes 
about what happens to the people as they're being called to repent. It says that they, when they heard the message of the gospel, that when they heard the message of Jesus, they were what? Cut to the heart. Can you say that with me? Cut to the heart. The Greek word that you see there for cut is the word katanuso. Can you say katanuso? Katanuso is a pretty rare word. It only shows up twice in the New Testament. Once right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the only other time that word, katanuso, shows up is when Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's that soldier who needed to verify whether if the Savior was really dead. He katanusoed him on the side, meaning he pierced him on the side. And when he pierced them, we were told that a mixture of blood and water came out. Katal Nuso literally means to pierce something. See, when the Holy Spirit is doing a real work in our hearts, and he's beginning to start this process of repentance, one of the first observable phenomenons within our own hearts is that we begin to become pierced with the sense of conviction. We become pierced with this sense of truth. We begin to see ourselves as we truly are. Sometimes when we are, uh, you know, with sin, it's, it's, it's a very complicated, delicate thing because sometimes when we are sinned against, we only see the offender and we see ourselves as a victim, right? And because of that, we fail to see, like, the sin that's in actually in our lives. So the question that I want to ask you, THMC, is this. When was the last time you were actually pierced in your heart, when you're actually cut to the heart, when you are pierced by this stinging truth of conviction by the Holy Spirit. You know, I thought about that question myself, and, you know, while this happens, you know, very frequently in my life, it reminded me of this particular incident that happened several years ago. As, uh, as, as Eliza was sharing, I pastored a church before I started my new ministry, Barnabas & Co., um, I was at Sarang Community Church, and I was there for 15 years. And for the length of time that I was pastoring there, you know, Sarang is a Korean-American immigrant church. Um, I know THMC is, for the most part, is, is very similar, right? You have, like, the KM, you have the EM. And my 15 years there was, was an amazing time. I had such an amazing time of ministry there. But you know how it is, right? Sometimes as the EM and the KM, we don't always see eye to eye. And sometimes we... Don't always, we're not always on the same page. And sometimes we have disagreements and we see things differently. And my counterpart, there was this one particular incident where we needed to hire a new college pastor. And I had a guy that I had raised up kind of throughout the ranks from an intern to becoming the associate. And he was the guy that I thought the college students were familiar with, that he knew. But my senior pastor on the KM side had different ideas. He wanted to hire a different person. And so we were kind of in this spat. We were kind of in this little squabble. And uh, I remember hearing one day that he had flown in another candidate without telling me. He had flown in another candidate to candidate or to interview for this position. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I can share the story because my senior pastor kind of knows, <coughs> you know, about this whole incident and how it impacted both of us. But I was so offended. I was so grieved to the point like I was like, I'm going to resign. You know, if I can't decide who I get to work with, if I can't even have a say in the person that's going to serve on my team, because the EM is 
gives oversight to the college ministry, I was like, I might, as well, I might as well not serve here at all. So I was so offended. So we show up to this meeting with all the college leaders, and the senior pastor's there. And the senior pastor, I thought he was going to announce this decision, like he's going to go with this other guy from Boston. Well, he says, guys, um, I took some time, and I need, I need a few more days to pray. So why don't we all pray? College students, you guys pray. Pastor Jeff, please pray. Let's spend the next three to five days praying, and we'll come back together next Friday, and we'll have a discussion again. And so I actually went somewhere to go pray. And here I am, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I am a David under a Saul. That's literally what I was telling myself. On day two, while I was at the prayer, at this prayer place, <laughs> I get a phone call from my friend. And my friend tells me, he's like, Jeff, um, hey, I just wanted to check in. Is everything okay with you? And I said, why? He said, hey, I just, uh, I don't know how else to say this. It's not the most encouraging thing. But I, I was led to pray for you this morning. And what I saw when I was praying for you kind of startled me. It kind of, it kind of disturbed me, actually. And I was like, share with me, what did you see? He says, well, I saw a picture of a heart. And it wasn't like a healthy heart. It was like a diseased heart. It was a heart that was discolored. It was a heart that looked like it was just moments away from dying. Gangrene, pussy, like just like, it just looked nasty. And he said, the next thing I saw was I saw a white surrender flag being stabbed into this heart. And that when this white surrender flag was stabbed into the heart, the heart began to regenerate. It began to change. It began to come back to life. The colors of health started to actually come back. And he says to me, does this make any sense to you? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and I said, like, I got to go now. So I hung up the phone. And I'm even more offended. I'm like, did my senior pastor call my friend and tell him something? And I'm like, what is going on, right? So I go back into the prayer room, and I'm praying. And then that's when I hear the Lord speaking to me. And he says, Jeff, Jeff, you think you are a David under a Saul. But right now, I am dealing with the Absalom that is in your heart. Let me say that again. Jeff, Jeff, you think you are King David under a soul. But actually, right now, I am dealing with the Absalom that is in your heart. And he says, I want you to text the senior pastor. And he gave me these words verbatim. I surrender this decision over to you. And do you guys think I was able to do that? No. <laughs> I wrestled with that decision. Like, I was like, I, I think I wrote it out like at least five or six times, and then I would erase it. But on the third day, I woke up. I finally mustered up the courage, but the conviction was so heavy in my heart. I was so pierced by the truth. Like, I needed to surrender this decision over to not just my senior pastor, but this was an act of obedience before God. And so I actually texted that over to him, and I said, Pastor Rowe, I just wanted to say I'm sorry if my actions these past couple of weeks have grieved you. And I just want to tell you, I want to ask for your forgiveness for I've been holding offense in my heart towards you. 
And then I texted him the third line. I just want you to know that I surrendered this decision over to you. That action could not have come if the Spirit of God had not pierced my own heart about my, about my, own, my own condition of my own heart. See, oftentimes in sin, we are so easy to see the sin in others. It's so easy for us to spot out the grievances and the offense in others, but it's so hard to see it for ourselves. But when the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our hearts, the very first thing that he does is that he will pierce our hearts with the truth. And when he does so, we will begin to see things as they really are. Are you guys with me? So that's the starting point of repentance. And then this then leads us into the actual heart of repentance. The heart of repentance is this, is that repentance is oftentimes accompanied by this experience of godly sorrow. Can you say that with me? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Not humanly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul actually distinguishes godly sorrow from worldly sorrow. What is the difference between having a, 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 a heart that's filled with godly sorrow or humanly sorrow? What's the difference? Right? Because two people could have the same level of sorrow. They could even have the same, what's the word, sense of remorse and regret. But one will fall under the category of godly sorrow, which leads to life and repentance and, and salvation. But the other one leads to, humanly sorrow, leads to, as Paul says, death or condemnation or guilt. Uh, the best way I can illustrate this is this, is that when I, in my experience in my years of being a pastor, and especially in my last seven years at Sarang, I had to deal with a lot of cases of infidelity. Probably about a dozen and a half cases where someone shows up at my pastor's office and says, hey, I was unfaithful to my spouse. Not the easiest cases to kind of walk people through. But I noticed that when people typically first, let's just say the husband, who was found to be unfaithful to his spouse. Let's say the husband shows up at my pastor's door and he's knocking on the door. When I talk to him, is he regretful? Absolutely. Is he remorseful? Absolutely. Is he filled with sorrow? Yes, he is. But at that stage, what I discern in my pastoral discernment is that it's not godly sorrow yet. It's either sorrow because he got caught. It's sorrow because he understands now the consequence of his actions and that what the pain that has inflicted his wife, the fact and the fear that he could lose his entire family as a result of his actions. He's filled with sorrow, but it's in a, it's in a different way. It's a more in a very humanly, worldly way. But I'll tell you, if he's crying before me, he's with tears pleading, like with me to help save his marriage, he's filled with sorrow. But it's not godly sorrow yet. And I, have, I tell him, you know what? I need you to wrestle with this before God. I need you to take this and I need you to wrestle with this before God. That's what I usually tell them. And if everything goes according to the Lord's will, maybe not days, maybe a couple of weeks, the guy will show up back at my door and he will begin to share with me, I now understand that the magnitude and the consequence of my actions have not only impacted 
my wife, my children, and me, but that it has actually, it has actually impacted the heart of God. That's when he's crossing the bridge from just humanly sorrow to godly sorrow. You know when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he wrote a psalm about it in Psalm 51.4? You know what's very interesting? He doesn't say against Bathsheba, against her husband, have I sinned. Although, did he commit a sin against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did he commit a sin against her husband? Did he commit a sin against his wife? Yes, clearly he did. But he actually experiences godly sorrow where he realizes, no, 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 my actions and my sin have grieved the heart of God. That's when you begin to experience godly sorrow, like against not just Bathsheba, not just against my wife, not just against myself, but against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned. And that sense of godly sorrow and remorse, because he's actually in that moment experiencing what the Holy Spirit is experiencing when we sin, that we actually grieve the Holy Spirit that we actually grieve the heart of God, that it actually breaks his heart, that when he sees us sinning, he doesn't just stand there just being callous and unmoved by it, but it actually grieves and breaks his heart. And when we begin to understand that, that's when we actually cross the bridge from just humanly sorrow and worldly sorrow to godly sorrow. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And that is the, only the work that the Holy Spirit can do. When we begin to, as we wrestle with our sin, we begin to understand, God, against you, I have grieved you. I have broken your heart. And that begins to shake the heart of what repentance is. So after that, what happens? Then we get into the actual act, the motion of repentance, the act of repentance. What is the act of repentance? The act of repentance is when we turn away from sin, and then we actually turn to faith in Christ. We turn away from sin, and we actually turn to faith in Christ. Where do we get this? In Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It's interesting. Peter says, repent. The word there for repent is the Greek word metoneia, okay, or metanoia. Metanoia means two things. It means to have a change in one's thinking, but it also means to have a change in one's direction. A change in one's thinking and a change in one's direction. How many of you guys use uh, a, a GPS uh, map navigating app? How many of you guys are Waze users here? Waze, all the Waze people in the house. All right, okay. A Apple Maps. Okay, one person. Okay, Google Maps. Yes, these are my people. I'm a Google, I'm a Google Maps user. You know, I often think, when I think about repentance, and I think about how the Holy Spirit shapes and kind of helps us in the process of repentance, I often think of it, and I attribute it very similarly to your GPS maps. When I was driving here to THMC, I punched in THMC, you know, something, something, corporate drive came out, I clicked it, and you know, Google Maps, you know, this is why I love Google Maps, because it not only gives you the best, most efficient route, in terms of time, not just in terms of mileage, but now even gas, right? It shows you the most econ economically fuel-efficient route. 
And when you punch the route that it sort of navigates for you, but if you were to miss a turn, if you were to actually take the 5 continuously instead of moving to the 710 north, if you were to actually misstep or take a wrong turn or go in the wrong way, you know what your GPS map navigation system would do? Right? It reroutes you, right? But then it used to do this. It used to say recalculating. Recalculating. I have mine set to a very soft woman's voice, by the way. So it doesn't sound very condemning when I make a wrong turn or I go the wrong way, right? I often think of the Holy Spirit in the act of repentance or in the process of repentance. He's like, he's like your GPS. When you take a misstep and you're headed the wrong way, you're headed down a, a pathway of death and destruction and brokenness or bondage, the Holy Spirit has a way of prompting you. And it's not a condemning voice. It's not a voice that, that, that spews hatred like the signs that you saw from Westboro Baptist or that man who had this whole car that says, God hates you, sinner. But it's a soft and gentle voice. It's a still, small voice that says, recalculate. Recalculate. Meaning that you need to change not just your way of thinking, but you need to change the direction of where you are going. Are you guys with me? That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we listen in and we give the Holy Spirit a voice to speak into our lives, oftentimes he redirects us. And oftentimes the redirection is he's trying to take us away from the pathway of sin and he's trying to cause us to turn and head in the right way, which is to faith forgiveness, and acceptance that is found only in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So we need to listen to the still, small voice of God, especially when he's prompting us and saying, hey, we need to recalculate. We need to, we need to change the direction of where we are headed, and we need to head this way. And last but not least, if we are able to do so and we respond to the grace that God is giving to us to set a direction that's headed the right way where you'll experience the fruit of repentance, okay? I just wanted to mention this, you know, again, this is the angry, hate-filled preacher, but I'm hoping that by now you begin to understand that repentance is not a finger being pointed at you, condemning you in your sin, but actually repentance should be more of a loving invitation from a Savior, to say, hey, let's rethink this. Let's think differently about this. Let's go a different route than the way that you're going right now. And I hope that that will be the lasting picture, this picture right here, of what genuine repentance is. Last but not least, what is the fruit of repentance? When we repent, what you should experience in genuine repentance is that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will experience a renewal, a spiritual renewal. Whether it's small, whether it's large, that doesn't matter. But the genuine experience of repentance should leave a person feeling refreshed, revived, and renewed. How do we know? Because that's what Peter says. He says, look, guys, repent, therefore. Again, his message in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he concludes by saying, 
and turn away from your sins so that times of refreshing may come to you. Times of refreshing may come to you. When I think of times of refreshing, I think back to this past June. My wife and I, our family, we had a chance to go to Kauai, the island of Kauai, for the very first time, right? And my wife and I, were, we love nature, and we love going out on hikes, and we decided to take this one very arduous hike, right? Probably a little bit uh, way above, like, our level, and it was sweltering hot that day. It was humid, so I'm, like, sweaty. I probably smelled, and I'm, like, going through, like, this lush jungle, and I got, like, bugs all over me. I got, like, you know, dirt that's, like, starting to kind of cake on and pile on. But at the very end of this hike, there's this little pool and a, a waterfall that's coming down from it. And because I was so hot and I was so drenched in sweat and I was just so dirty, covered with filth from walking through all of the dirt and all the, the foliage of the jungle, I jumped into the water, swam my way to the waterfall, and I just, I just stood there as the waterfall just the waters just came washing over me, washing away all of my stench, washing away all of my filth. And in that moment, even though by the end of that hike, I was feeling like I was about to die because I was so tired and so fatigued, something about being under that rush of that waterfall brought my spirit back to life. And I was ready to go back and do the rest of the however, however many miles to return back. If you guys are ever looking for what a picture of what the fruit of repentance looks like, that's what it looks like. You're actually coming under the waterfall of God's grace. You're voluntarily responding and saying, God, bring me under the flow, under the waters of your grace. The same waters that washes away all of my filth washes away all of the stench of my sin, washes away all of my brokenness, all my past pains and hurts, all of those things that's tied to sin in my life or even the sin that was committed against me. And let me come alive in you once more. That's the times of refreshing that Peter is talking about. And that is why the word repentance or the call to repent is not a dirty word in the church. It is actually a beautiful word. It is not a finger that's pointing of condemnation, but again, it's an invitation to come under the waters of God's grace and to experience grace anew so that our soul and our spirit can be brought back to life. Can I get an amen? So THMC, my prayer is that as you guys go through this series in Acts, and that you guys explore and unpack what it means to be like the early church again, always remember that faith and repentance go hand in hand. They are two sides of the same coin. And I pray that this will be a practice that you guys will do, not only individually before God, but that you guys can do collectively as a spiritual family here at THMC. Can I get an amen? Can I just invite you to just bow your heads with me? Repentance begins when we are pierced 
with truth, filled with godly sorrow. And when you listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that is redirecting us, recalculating us to the way of the everlasting. My desire for you, THMC, is that you would experience grace in you. Can I get an amen? That you would come under the waterfall of God's grace and you would know that your Savior is just sticking out his hand and he's just inviting you back to say, child, repent. Turn. Don't hold on. Don't hold on to that sin anymore. Don't hold on to your bitterness any longer. Don't keep the sin hidden in your life any longer. Don't let the sin of unforgiveness bring destruction and decay into your own heart. But turn, repent, take my hand, and let me lead you to grace in you come under the waterfall of God's grace and to be washed, cleansed, and refreshed. So Holy Spirit, just like we began our teaching today, we invite you. We invite you to come and do a work in our hearts. And would you just begin to help us see, just as David prayed in Psalm 139, Search my heart, O God. Search my heart. See if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me into the way of everlasting. Redirect my heart, God, into the way of everlasting. Holy Spirit, would you come and do that work in our hearts today as we come before you? as we come under the waterfalls of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.